in this 166th episode entitled Yippee! We can see spring from here. We have questions and information on vitamin D. We've got studio bike sessions for triathletes, mountain bike race review and questions, max testing, questioning error data, Dave Barry coming back to us on training and something about accidental doping. Welcome to our multi-sport podcast for triathletes, duathletes, sportive riders, road racers, time trialists, runners, mountain bikers and fitness enthusiasts. Now in its 14th year of publishing. Whatever your distance and whatever your event, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster. We are supported by No Pins suppliers of club custom and aero cycling apparel. Watch nopins.com for news of custom scanning for clubs individuals. Also supported by Sat In and next to the retail genius who stands behind the desk in the morning, cyphopracer.co.uk. For all your biking needs, whether mountain bike, tri, sportive, gravel, time trials, cyclocross, e-bike, fixie, you name it. Visit southforkracing.co.uk and finally, Fourth Edge, blood profiling to test, track and optimise your diet, training and recovery. Visit fourthedge.co.uk. So, I'm Martin Crocker and I'm joined again by Martin Crocker. <laughs> I just thought I'd get you there. There we go. So, I thought I was um, doing the Joe Beer bit. Oh, you know, so yeah, I got you. Uh, have you been racing again? Didn't you get a podium? Or have we gone over that one already? I think we might have gone over I might have gone over Okay, we'll, anyway, we'll, we'll skip about, over that. But, me, but, but anyway, um, our sound engineer expert, Henry Benning, did a race, didn't he? He did indeed. He did a, uh, a 10 mile, very hilly run in 67, 67 minutes. Uh, he didn't ask us any advice, he just went and ran it. But he, that's, that's Henry for you. He can, he can do it, can't he? He's he's you got the engine. He's got the class, engine. Absolutely. So, reviews, ratings, and feedback. So, thank you for listeners for putting your reviews in. We had one from Omnipotent on the twenty sixth of December. So that must have been somebody sat around on Boxing Day thinking of something to do. And it's a great podcast. This uh, uh, sorry that has a balance of being informative and good fun to listen to. Joe Martin spar and bounce off each other really well whilst delivering news updates to tech and fitness trends interspersed with listeners' questions advice. Have a pen and paper handy because there is always something worth writing down to add to your sporting armoury. And, uh, yeah, it was five stars. So thank you very much for thank that. Thank you very much. And I, I'm not sure if we've done this one before, but there's one from Jeffrey Whitby that actually came through on Facebook. And it says, seriously, Martin and Joe, thanks for an excellent podcast. Having done time trialling in the past and now compete, completing Sportifs and Adventure Mountain Biking, AMBX, which I've never heard of, that, that abbreviation before. The information in the podcast gives me some educated structure to my rides, up to and including the sportives and AMBX. Thanks for 10 years of education and humour. Mm. Well, Thank you, Jeffrey. Ed- perhaps education, not sure about the humour bit. Anyway, we're up to 76 ratings, 68 are five stars, so thank you very much. And the six 
four stars and the two three stars have stayed there. They haven't gone up. So we must be hitting the nail on the head. And if we're not, tell us about it. There was also something, somebody gave us some feedback and they said about, it was just a text that came in about, oh, I like the podcast. It says, I like, uh, uh, they said, I like the aspect. I like that aspect of it. I don't know what they were talking about. Uh, Not too serious, but the quality information. Um, I found it really helped me keep perspective and not get drawn into my own tiny world of cycling and training. You actually saved me from killing myself um, in January, two years ago, when I was panicking that I would never get into form for time trials. I've learned a lot since then. So thank you very much. I think that was from Neil. I think that was from Neil. I can't remember because I didn't write it down because it came in as text. I just did a screen grab. And there was finally some feedback from a chap called Rob Brooks, who we answered a question for him. Oh, good. And he said, uh, thank you. Hi, Joan Crocker. I just want to say thanks for taking the time to read through my lengthy podcast question and answer it on the show. As a follow-up and for peace of mind, I had an ECG via my GP, which returned a normal result. Thank goodness. Also, after listening to your discussion on the podcast, I've stopped studying my heart rate whilst running and riding, as found I was simply backing off when getting near to my perceived maximum heart rate. Since ignoring the numbers, I've covered off more productive sessions and increase my max by around 4%, but I know I can go further. Just goes to show that I was limiting myself based on Garmin numbers versus my actual ability. That's a lesson I won't forget in a hurry and a good reminder to use data in conjunction with rate of perceived exertion instead of taking the numbers as a rigid fact. Huge thanks again and keep up the outstanding work, Rob Brooks. I think one thing to add into that is that we're not always looking to see if we can drive our heart rate up to maximum numbers. By definition, as you get fitter and fitter, it's harder to get up to higher numbers because you can now do a lot of work at lower numbers. So it's not always good to try and seek out a higher maximum. But if you're trying to do some kind of efforts which do require you to push very, very hard, then obviously there'll be a point where you need to show that you've done the work. But it's not who can get the heart rate up the highest by any means. Oh, good. Uh, nice to have a bit of feedback. Yeah, it's nice, and- to have, nice to have some feedback. And it was, I think we spoke briefly about vitamin D. And soon after the last podcast, and from a um, very... Uh, kind lady, Nicola Key, spelled K-E-A-Y. She actually sent me some research that's come out on cyclists and it was on their hormones, it was on their vitamin D, it was on various um, aspects of their health. And I'll put, when we put the podcast out, I'll put it up online so that you can see it and see really that they were measuring some quite fit people. I think off the top of my head, they had a uh, a one-hour threshold, an FTP of about 320, 330 watts. So very, very solid. They were, I think, cat one twos off the top of my head. And they were studying them for various reasons, one of which was their energy intake, also their vitamin D status, their, um, their sort of hormonal status. And it was actually looking at them and, and noticing that actually energy deficiency in people that want to keep their body weight down is a real problem. And Nicholas sent me other information on something called Red S, which I will also put details out there for, which is very much geared towards people that are in sports that are very weight orientated and they, should we say, have trouble getting their balance of eating in conjunction with their performance level and they under eat and they cause huge amounts of problems. So it was quite good to see that vitamin D 
uh, kind of insider bit of research. It's now out there as an open source, so you can find it. But in other research, there was between one in 10 and one in three people that were assessed in these various groups, that their vitamin D status was low. And there's a, a level of, uh, of 90 units when it's measured in the blood that now is perceived as being the level to get to. And when they tested these particular cyclists, their average was 70. There were some that had as low as 30. And the experts are saying you want to try and get this blood level up to 90, because if you don't get su sufficient vitamin D, you have problems with things like potential stress fractures. Uh, you can have immune system issues and hence there's a quite a big push towards uh the um the the sort of should we say the, the supplementation of many athletes to make sure that they've bumped up their vitamin d status to the right level because so you won't do it just naturally it's so, very difficult okay so to backtrack on vitamin d the essentials of vitamin d being um you know why 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 would you benefit from oh from supplementing? For, for, for exactly because of because <laughs> it because it's part of the, if you like, bone remodeling function and it's part of the immune system, those two things can get severely hit. And there's quite a good simple flow diagram. I don't know where I got it, so I can't just put it out there, but it goes through these various strategies of, you know, do you have, um, do you have sufficient sort of uh, uh, daylight, etc., which is still difficult to, to assess. But it finally says with a lot of people, particularly if they're... Um, uh, they say like less than 75, whereas some experts are actually saying less than 90 in terms of this level. They're saying go up to 2,000 to 4,000 IUs, which is the international units of D3. And there are, there are individuals that I've tracked that we've looked at their D3, they've supplemented and they've bought themselves out of quite a gully by supplementing. Yes, there's other foods that you can look online and see foods that are rich in vitamin D3, but it's still very difficult. And sometimes I think particularly in the 21st century to be able to specifically supplement on something that you know is low. And this goes back to the whole blood profiling. Unless you know, you could be three months, three weeks, you know, half a year away from injury because you're a runner or you do triathlon and the impact then starts to get tiny stress fractures. So it comes up um, and there's a graph. I've, I've tracked um, somebody that was, uh, we were trying to get their vitamin D and you can see it's gone up over the, uh, the 106, which means they, they were way below and they've gone up and now they're where they need to be. So, what was that? Sorry, we're pointing. I'm pointing at a graph. Point, it's got. really good. We're pointing <laughs> at something. It's good for radio. This is great radio, as they say. So starting at, I think that I think that well, the starting level. Look, it's almost down to the to the grey zone. I think it was something something in the region of like the 60 area. Okay. Right. So it, no, it's gone up significantly from 60 to to 106. But I will put on the Twitter feed when we put this out I'll put the, the research that Nicola sent to me uh, the link to the to the Red S which is quite a, a useful organisation but also to other vitamin D things because it's one of those simple things that costs you pennies to supplement on and so many people are coming up below where they should be very few people come and say oh you're way above it and how long was this over sorry so that was from the 16th of January 2018 up to that one was the uh, 2nd of October. So that was a gradual okay. yeah, increase yeah. Over, over, over a few months. Again, like everybody, I think you expect it to do, like, click your fingers, it happens overnight once yeah. you start supplementation. But again, training and, and life gets in the way of that, I suppose. And yeah, just, absolutely. Just supplementing away will uh, will keep the, the beast 
at bay as it would be or help you out in yeah some way. yeah and it's simple it's not it's not too difficult to do so let's go for question one that was just info this is question so this is from hugh bevan who sent this in via twitter and he said uh, i'm a 49 year old male trying to do triathlons i'm doing approximately six hours a week running cycling but having started what bike training i'm exhausted 90 minutes equates to four hours ride is this normal so I'm, I'm guessing his his session of 90 minutes has made him feel like he's done a four hour ride. Okay, um, now my training is down to three hours as I'm tired. Is this normal? Okay, and I responded back, and I'll say what I said, and then we can add in some detail ourselves. But I responded back and said, "Hi Hugh, sounds like the watt bike sessions are high intensity. Uh, not fully sure the details that 90 minutes equals four hours. So please email me back, and uh, and I'll be happy to help. I think." Um, he then said that um, he'd just done his first Ironman distance race and he trains about six hours, but he started doing what bike um, sessions and he really feels it the next day and he feels like he's benefiting from it. He said, well, I'm, well, I'm benefiting from, from riding properly, which I think I've got to question that phrase properly. I've had to reduce the rest of my training by half because of fatigue. Okay, so listen to a recent podcast. Am I setting myself up for issues next year as I can be shattered for a day after a 90 minute endurance session? My average heart rate is within zone one, but much of the ride will be out of this. So I don't quite, you know, he said his average is in zone one, which is never the way to, you know, to test your training. Is it in zone one? But it probably is because you've got some warm up time, some cool down time. So you can drag the heart rate down if you don't do much. Um, but he actually says, but much of the ride will be outside of this. I'm not sure if I should just tick over for now and build up in the new year. Love the podcast, Hugh. Um, I just did four things. I said 90 minute session will be too hard for a six hour athlete. That sort of amount of high intensity, which must be quite, I, I doubt the whole 90 minutes is flat out, but that's quite a high proportion of your week. I also said you're probably better to, you know, in some people's cases, sit at the back, and just don't do the effort, but spin your legs so you don't have to be at the front necessarily. Everyone's watching you what you do. Make sure if it is lasting 90 minutes, you have carbs. Because if blood sugar drops, you're starting at, I don't know, 6 o'clock in the evening. You haven't eaten since 2 o'clock. You start doing a session like that, that can doubly whack you out. So make sure you take something possibly as you're driving to the what bike um, class or once you're in there. And people say, oh, make sure you drink water. Water's not going to do anything. You've got to get, if it's high intensity, you've got to get some carbohydrates in as you are doing the session. That also stops you getting the munchies afterwards as well. I've also said effort this time of year should be put... Uh, in, into juggling your time at the pool and the bike and the run all of them working on modest aerobic effort so that's less than 80% of heart rate max which feels easy not putting your effort into trying to increase your FTP um, your manliness or your lactate tolerance because I think there's a problem with this idea that he's training properly in inverted commas I think what he's actually doing is that one session particularly when you start it i think this was either very end of december or start of january that kind of suddenly flick the calendar and go for it we're still in january it's dark outside it's been dark since five o'clock we're still in the middle of winter so to suddenly up the ante when he's doing we don't know what he's doing but if he's if he's um i'm gonna guess he did iron man wales i'm just guessing his name's hugh bevan oh, what's generalization i know there. but i tell you what i bet i'm right <laughs> i bet i even know where he might even be doing his his what bike sessions okay 
so I just think there is a there is a long time between now and whatever I Manly might do this year. The idea of doing a what bike session, you can mix it up without it being high intensity. Uh, it may just be too hard. And in which case, why do that and have to cut all the rest of your training down? That one session is no miracle. Okay, most people could just stay in zone one and do no high intensity work for four months and just see what happens at the end of that four months. See how fit you are, see how much you're gagging to do some racing and see how much you've been healthy and loved your training. And I think there's this idea that high intensity is out there offering you some miraculous like rabbit warren to dive under all the miles that other people have to do and pop up and produce really good yeah really good goods i can't say that fast really good goods yeah i think also doing an indoor session on the bike uh with spin bikes swift any form of training it taxes the system a lot more uh, than it would be out on the road you've got everything from from wind gravity you know slowing you up yeah. you know keeping everything quite modest but an indoor session just creates that heat that build up yeah. that you get yeah. so your heart rate does wander anyway because of the heat even though you've got fans you've got water you know air conditioning you still build up a lot of heat there but the problem with that is it's fatigue that it lends to you as well mm. so and it's also sitting in the very much the same position. So you really do drive muscles. A specific that, set of yeah, muscles. It's like, yeah. it's like being on a totally flat course. It's harder to be on a totally flat course because you stand... You, well, unless you move around on the seat deliberately, you spend a lot of time using very similar muscle groups. And that's why I, I admire the triathletes and the iron men and women of this world because you don't isolate muscles like, say, predominant you know, cyclists do just yeah. cyclists uh, and that's the downside with indoor training is you know there's nothing there that you are moving more than yeah. your legs pretty yeah. much yeah. nothing's getting supported just slouching down and we're seeing now an influx of people that are good cyclists that have done quite a bit of winter training on on turbo trainers and now coming in going oh yeah i've had to have a couple of weeks off because i'm getting knee issues yeah, yeah. and even triathletes that have gone from doing their kind of set indoor indoor sessions I've gone to do their swimming and their running, their outdoor running, and just gone, well, oh, no, the, 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 the knee, my back, or hamstring, mm. or something, my foot mm. has just decided that it doesn't want to play ball. I think the indoor sessions, if they are, if they're regimented, are good. I think the Watt Bike, the way Watt Bike Studios work, the way, you know, everybody kind of hops on board the turbos and meet, meets up on people, places like Zwift or Trainer Road or whatever. Um, I think it's fantastic. But it's, the sessions are harder than they really need to be when you're in a big group. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think sometimes maybe, like you said, at the back, just lightly spinning or when you're supposed to put the effort in, maybe do, you know, spin faster, yeah. you know, higher RPM just to kind of take that stress. Because if you're, if you're then having to divide, like you said, your other training sessions down because of that one bike session yeah. that one and a half hour session doesn't make up for the loss of of the of the time elsewhere of two hours yeah of running also sometimes sessions the data's projected onto a screen or somebody sort of tries to they, they try to motivate people but i think you try and throw in variety as opposed to intensity because intensity for somebody building for iron man is is just too soon and he did actually the follow-up after that bit of advice i emailed him about 
you know, do most at 80% and make sure I have a drink, etc. He said, thank you for the advice. Um, fine to use my name. I'm doing a number of half Ironmans and the long course bike leg in Tenby. So that's the long course weekend where they do the swim on the Friday, the bike on the Saturday, which is a, a sportif, and then the marathon on the Sunday. So he's doing the bike there. And he says, but I haven't planned an Ironman distance event yet. In brackets, got to convince the wife. Close brackets. <laughs> Finally, he says, I only tend to eat carbs on two to four hour bike rides, but we'll take some for the long, long what bike endurance session. So herein we have a, a classic of something that I'm doing with my athletes, which is to really pinpoint down their knowledge about how they use nutrition, because there can be products that they have. There can be uh, there can be things they've read about, things somebody gives them a free sample of but actually being able to get everything right use the right number of scoops stop scrimping start with three scoops that's what it says after a couple of months they put two in and then after three months they only put one in thinking i don't really need that anymore you need carbs no, you don't need carbs all the time but this sounds like he's just not taking anything unless he gets to two hour to four hour events and that's bizarre i mean if you if you start getting tired you can't do the training and your mojo is dropping i'll put i'll put a lot of onus on saying to that particular person you need to up your carbs you're just not getting enough fuel in you don't realize it because of how much you're doing in that 90 minutes if he was working at you know 150 watts that would be 900 calories in that 90 minutes uh which is not quite half of his day but probably you know a good um certainly a good 40% of his daily energy requirement if he was just not training. So you think in that one session, that's quite a hard hit. A lot of that, because he's working so hard, is going to be from carbohydrates. So if he doesn't eat right, or he doesn't actually uh, like drip feed through the session, as well as having a snack before, you start feeling like, oh, I suppose I'm going to be up for it. And it just declines and it declines and it declines. And because the decline means mentally he's pushing really hard, part of the fatigue is mental because he's having to push so hard because he doesn't have carbs because it's not two-hour session. But also part of it is that physically, if he's not putting the carbs in and he's getting rid of 900 calories in that 90 minutes, he can be quite in a deficit. Hence, he's got to take the day off the next day. Do you, why do you think not taking the carbs... Is on people's radars when they're doing. I just think they're calorie conscious. I think they don't, they don't think they need it, because they don't perceive what they're doing. And okay, it's six hours of training. You can definitely be eating fairly normally, unless you're a real skinny wretch that's an ectomorph that literally has to have recovery drinks just to get enough calories in. Otherwise, they, they find that they just, you know, they're naturally skinny because their body wastes energy, okay? I'm assuming they also eat normally. They're not skinny because they hardly eat. That person's very inefficient. Therefore, they have to sometimes have extra calories on top of the calories they have just to cover their training. Other people, I just think they perceive that it's not really a long session, 90 minutes. They'll possibly look around and... Well, as the client said the other day, he went out, I think, it, I'm going to say off the top of my head, a two and a half hour ride. And he was like, nobody else was picking up the bottle. Nobody was eating. Nobody was doing any kind of drinking. And he said, and I'm absolutely on the regime. I'm finishing really strong. I feel brilliant. And these people haven't even got a bottle of water on a two and a half hour ride. And I think people, they think they're going to use less calories. No, they're going to take in less calories rather. 
and somehow that's the point. Who can get who can get by on less calories? Now we'll do a ride tomorrow morning, so we do an early morning ride. We kick off at just before six, and that's okay to start fasted at that point. But there's some days I was like, forget it. I'm going to eat something. Eat an energy bar. Eat a crunchy bar. Have something, eat a banana, because I just think my body just does not want to ride without it. And you can teach your body early morning, up to mid-morning, just to tap into fats. But I think people look at these sessions, particularly in the evening, and forget they've been going throughout the day. They probably didn't eat for several hours beforehand, but they still don't really think of it as being important. And I think, although you get probably in that class 20 different people in terms of their beliefs about nutrition, when they last ate whether they think they need just water or whether they think they need electrolytes or whether they think they need a super duper drink. But I think the fundamentals are carbohydrates are never going to be at greater than you are actually consuming. Okay. If he's using 900 calories in that session and 70% of it is from, um, from carbohydrate. Okay. Then that 600 ish calories from from carbs is quite a dent on his system okay and it's very isolated it's just those muscles as we said when you're sitting in one position but people then also subsequently go home and probably overeat because they do the session they have a natter they get home it's even later now they'll overeat so they'll overeat at that point and that won't mean you get more glycogen in that just means you'll probably have poor recovery and poor sleep so you have to do little and often. And sometimes one of those little and oftens lands smack bang when you're also training. So you don't consider, oh, training's when we don't eat because that's what the best people do. And I think there is a, you know, without, without thinking everybody's the same, there's quite a few people that I think they think the best way to get better is to eat hardly anything and that will make them better. And what they notice is they just have more rebounds and more times when they absolutely go ballistic in the, the fridge or the lard or whatever. Because what happens is, if your blood sugar drops low enough and you get hungry enough and your glycogen is low enough, your body will make you eat. And very few people on the planet can just absolutely say, no, 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 I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to eat. Those that do suffer very, very significantly at a mental level because their body's telling them something and they pretend that they can override that. And that's not good. If your body says you need to eat salt and you're getting that real hankering for, for, for crisps or for salt on your food that's probably your body telling you something and I think with this there needs to be a re-education of lots of people to say it's probable in most sessions particularly at 90 minutes that you're better off in the session and after the session to take something could be a simple energy drink could be a snack bit of fruit with some with some water maybe but you know it's not who can have the most eco-friendly product on the planet it's not for somebody to try and scrimp if you're entering half Ironmans and Ironmans you're already paying out hundreds in entry fees and part of your training fees are to fuel your body in training yeah I think there's a there's like you were saying a mental now not an issue but a line of thought where people think well if I'm training I'm burning fat I'm burning calories therefore I'm getting lighter but the balancing the the balancing act between that not getting ill and losing strength mm, mm. is is a huge one to, to to tally up so carbs whilst you're training like you were saying mm. in a kind of you know sixty to ninety minutes is a must 
to have. And even then, after your session, I mean, I, I must admit, sometimes I, I can hold my hand up and say, after a session where I've done it relatively hard, I go in and all I can do is sit in front of the fridge and just look at stuff and go, right, I'm having that, I'm having that, I'm yeah. having that. Yeah. And you just keep piling yeah. in. Like you said, that leads to poor recovery and it leads to poor sleep. So the next day you're thinking, oh, I'm supposed to do a hard session, but I'm going to put my rest day now because I'm tired and yeah. then do the hard session the day after. Yeah. And um, anyone can train so hard that they... You can train hard enough that your glycogen will not recover in 24 hours so sometimes even by the sounds of this um session that uh, that hugh's doing it does sound like it's such a hard session for him that doesn't matter whether he has carbs in it and carbs after it it's it's such a hard session i would question even the relevance of it that actually he's never going to recover that well because it's just too it, and it's probably too different to what he's been doing and it's probably too different to what I'd have him doing right now if he's if he's doing what he says I think it's maybe the wrong thing but you can use nutrition but it still has its limits of how much you can get in how much glycogen you can store and subsequently how long it's going to take you to feel good again because it's not who is the most fatigued the most miserable and almost like the the most kind of uh, hungry or just constantly like, oh, I can't eat this, I can't eat that. Oh, I never eat any of that because this, this and this. You know, happy athletes go a lot quicker than people that are very, very overtrained could could literally say I could give up now and it's only uh, it's only March. We want people to be happy and, and be vibrant. And sometimes that means you do go in the fridge and go, I'm hungry. I've had a lot of calories. I want that, that and that. And you eat it. And you think, well, that's going into some form of recovery but ideally we'd all have it totally under control the recovery drinks in the um you know in the uh, fridge or the smoothie or there's already a bowl of cereal and then sometimes you come back and go right i'm having that straight away i haven't even got time for a shower i need something really quick and it may be that in this evening session people like Hugh that are starting late i often say to people you might have to have something significant before the session because if you're starting at seven o'clock well you should have already eaten something but also you want the other half of your supper sort of afterwards you almost split it in half or you just make sure that there's something to go into not too hungry and afterwards there's something to recover you but it shouldn't be a huge meal at too late in the day because that's not going to make you fat but it is going to make you sleep poor a good question i like that john chandler sent us one Remember mountain bike? Yeah. Velotech. Yep. <coughs> Excuse me. So it says, uh, mountain bike went well. Distance stroke time was doable. Um, it was the first time I've raced for, for more than one and a half hours on a mountain bike. So I was hesitant to push hard at first. Due to the distance travelled to get there, there was no time for practice laps. I didn't know the lap length until we completed the first lap. I had three mechanicals and lap one it meant stopping to remove branches and letting approximately 10 riders through on a tight single track. On lap three, a stick jam between the rear tyre and the frame, and that was a quick stop. Uh, tyre pressures, uh, tyre pressures too hard for sure. Very bumpy, and on my hard tail, massive fatigue on my lower back. Feeding was good. I had plenty to eat. Feeding on the bike is difficult but doable. I completed six laps in the three hours 29. Drinks bottles were good. Stopped twice in, in total on lap one and lap two with bigger 750ml bottles. I uh, did what you said. I had an SS caffeine shot 45 minutes before and then I took two gels during the race. Uh, one after three laps with caffeine and the second at the start of lap five. Um, the seat post slipped in the last two laps, effectively stopping me pushing harder. I 
probably caused uh, by the um, tire pressure being too high. I tried on every section to get nice flow and stay off the brakes and use my momentum to conserve energy. There were a few places on the course where you really had to dig deep, but as a result of good base work, I felt like I really recovered quickly after those sections. I did really have to dig in on another climb to gain a position before a tight single track section, and that meant no chance to overtake. Um, in terms of physical fitness, I felt pretty good. Looking back at the data, I think I could have pushed slightly harder. And having done a race of that length now, I would definitely push more. 47 minutes and my Garmin was in zone four, two and a half hours in zone three. Average was 150 beats with a maximum 179. Average power 196, normalized 224. And 677 meters climbed. I would love your opinion in terms of what I can do to improve. And I think the thing is with all these early events that people were doing, and I think he must have done that. That might have even been in December, I think, because we did the podcast and then we've, we've had just over a month. But I think when you do things now and they're not your clearly your A races, I think part of how can you improve will just have patience that we're coming out of winter. And and probably also just look at some of the things that you learn. If you do something for the first time and, and you know, you've not you're not done more than one and a half hours and you do a, a race that goes into, you know, three and a half hours, that's a completely different, like, energy system. You can get away with one and a half hours having not a lot, really. Um, you're still better to feed some carbohydrate, but not a lot. When you get to three and a half hours, you have to have been feeding or you're going to go pop. So part of doing any of these events, and I think this is something to, to think about for anybody, the first events of the new year 2019 as it is some of the times you just got to see well suck it and see what happens and have a plan of what you're going to do but don't overly stress yourself about what the outcomes are you're gonna you're gonna basically play and learn and from that learning you'll be able to go back next time or to the next event and go yeah starting to get how much i need starting to work out what I need to uh, perhaps eat beforehand or what tire pressures I need to put in or how I need to get there a bit quicker, et cetera, et cetera. There's probably four lessons there to do with admin that you could make a difference on. Well, that's the difference. I bet John won't make the same mistake when he goes to the second round or yeah. a, you know, a different race. Yeah. He'll make sure his seat post tight. He'll make sure that he'll pre-ride the course. If the tyres are too hard, drop a bit of pressure <coughs> out, go and have another little ride. Yeah. No, they're, they're still too hard, a little bit more. Um, and then... That kind of thing. Well, that's the whole whole reason for doing these early yeah. staged races. Is number one, it's completely different from the cross country, short course cross country to the longer distance stuff. And it might even be um, ones that we used to do the brass monkeys, where they used to do a lap, and then you had three hours to complete. And if you cross the line within the three hours, you've got another lap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's completely different to probably the way that he normally races. Um, but those mistakes will not get made again. You know, your your tyre pressure, your seat post, the little mechanicals, even the mechanicals that come up aren't anything that, that he's done, but mm. he might then think, well, oh, I might run different tyres, mm. means I don't pick up quite so much mud or debris. Uh, again, with the tyre pressures being quite high, that might be another issue. Um, the tyres... Well, it's muscle fatigue, won't it, as well? well? And that's the thing with, with mountain biking, especially, is the lower back. The lower back just gets an absolute beating and... Sometimes you can train for that, so you can put in 
extra exercises that you can do. You get used to it. Once Is that muscles... where thighs, bums and tums comes in? <laughs> it might well be, yeah. All right, okay. Deep squatting. Yeah. With weight, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so the little things like lower back exercises, it comes with the territory. There's no two ways about it. But yes, a, you know, a softer riding bike will drag a little bit more, but ultimately over that distance, you lose nothing mm. more than a bit of time but you'll have extra comfort. And the feeding as well is the thing, because normally what happens with guys that go from short to long, um, I do it, you overeat pretty much, thinking, well, I don't want to bonk, I don't want to bonk. The chances of you bonking are pretty slim, but you tend to overeat with that, and then all of a sudden, you kind of, it twigs, and you think, oh, I don't need all that kind yeah. of stuff. And, and it, he didn't, by the looks of it, he didn't yeah. go over the top with, with most yeah. of his feeding. But those little mistakes that are made, whether it be your admin technical issues will all iron out anyway the whole reason for doing it is a to see what you can do b to see what your body needs to do it mm. and then your equipment what needs to be changed on your yeah. equipment and i'd have forward. i'd have sort of two ways of looking at it. firstly enjoy it it's a crack everyone's races can't be a races where you get stressed if every time you go out whether it's a you know a local race or a race you've traveled you know several hours and flown whatever yeah sort of push yourself but don't make this into a second job and then you start finding that it's really it's lost its real fun and you're not like a kid really looking forward to it you're almost like oh it's another bit of work I've got to do so I think sometimes the learning happens and it's quite easy because each time you race you get a little bit more into race mode but also you can just scribble things down about you know tire pressure about feeding about know get there early about know exactly where i'm going etc etc and then those things can just be either reminders that pop up the day before when you're trying to get yourself ready for an event right i'm going to leave myself another half an hour i get the half an hour early great i've got an extra half an hour i don't want to get there late because i'm going to be in trouble right i need i need to get those gels right i need to get those gels i need to get that i need to have extra bottles and it's just it's planning to have a good event it's not serious it doesn't matter if you do bonk what's the worst that can happen you have a good value for money day but you take longer to get it done and sometimes i think people i think they worry about what happens if you know if it all goes wrong and it's like you'd be a bit slower than you thought you were Ta-da. I mean, do it know. now. Do it now in your yeah. B races rather than your yeah. A race. Get but, it right for the day. Yeah, but but to enjoy the process of learning because it's not. It's sort of not just about the numbers, zones, heart rates. Sometimes it's about the fact that you just really enjoyed it, and because you set up yourself not to be there late, and you did have the right equipment, and you set stuff up pretty well, you really could enjoy getting the most out of yourself. What you don't want is to be in a position where you keep hoping there's more. Do you know what I mean? And, and you know, if I do this, I do this. At a certain point, the, I think, the mastery of what you're doing, the fact you've sussed it, you know how to get the most out of yourself, you've worked out the equipment bits, and if you looked at the elites, you know, they know the exact tyre pressures, they've worked out their test laps, everything is, is dialed in. But they're a pro, and I think... Sometimes people have to remember this is not your profession. Um, I'm not suggesting John at all. Absolutely not. He's, he's got a good attitude to it. But it's funny how as people get further into racing, they can start taking it too seriously. And actually, it's good just to have, you know, have a sense that you're learning. But you're learning how to get your playtime right. You're not learning because if it all goes right, you're going pro. Okay? You're learning to get your playtime right. You know? It's simple as that. Yeah. Simple question. as that. Good to hear back from John. 
Uh, right, so this one was from, this next question, question three, was from Pete Lloyd, who came to the, uh, came to the Rota Power Seminar at the Boardman Centre uh, late in 2018, actually. And he says, hi, Joe, thanks again for last Saturday morning. Again, lots of great information. Such a welcome change for being in the classroom with uh, 10 and 11-year-olds for 25 years. This is obviously an ex-teacher who's retired. Um, he said, uh, that Miguel Indurain stat was so impressive. And that was a statistic on a uh, slide where it showed you know, our record power outputs. We were only talking about it just a second ago, actually. And Miguel Indurain's was 500 watts. Yes, you heard that right, <laughs> 500 watts. No, it wasn't measured in the hour, but he did loads of tests. They'd done prior ramp tests. He'd done you know, 40 minute benchmarks before the hour and was able to hold 500 watts. So yes, it is right, 500 watts. And people say, must be wrong, can't be real, must be an alien, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, avoid it all. No, he's just was a very, very, very good cyclist. He was huge and therefore produced lots of power. There's been other people that have got into the 460 region as well so you know they are exceptional individuals and people shouldn't poo poo the numbers as being wrong or or in any way think that it you know it can't be done it can be done it's just that luckily the rest of us are not professionals so whilst the records would be pretty pathetic if we were the professionals Apparently, he didn't he have one of the biggest lung capacities of a cyclist ever, ever measured as well? Probably. I don't know that specific fact, but I wouldn't be surprised based on his size. Um, Pete goes on anyway to say, just a couple of questions. Um, the um, young lad that was with him, Ellis, said, Ellis was asking and assuming that at 17, with a current maximum power of 310 watts, should he repeat the test more often as he's still developing? Okay, so that's question one. And question two, when doing efforts such as overgeared efforts at around 75% of your maximum, uh, would you ease off if heart rate was rising over 83%? Uh, or would you complete the interval anyway? Um, I'm asking, as I notice, I can do some, uh, sorry, I can do the same sessions on a turbo, both indoors in my shed or down at the training center or outdoors in the garden. And in the cooler conditions, heart rate does not rise so high. So there's two components to that. So first off, Pete, um, Ellis is young and at 17, I'd say his, his peak power is probably, you know, it's potentially still going up. It depends on how, you know, how strong as an individual he is and how long he's been, you know, particularly um, cycling. But I wouldn't repeat it too often. I mean, you don't really need to adjust everything like it's suddenly going to keep, uh, keep you guessing every few months that you should do it. In a sense, you know, once every six months, maybe. But after a while, there comes a point where, Certainly the data on the, uh, I think they're 18 year olds or they were tested when they're 18, you know, they had 400 upwards and beyond when they were elite and world tour riders. And that was 18. That was already a, you know, a, a statistic. Now, how long they've been riding, I don't know. But I don't think at 17, it's necessarily worth keeping on doing a test to find if you get a better answer. I'd say you leave a while to let maturity Possibly, um, if I remember right, it was quite slight. So you may need to actually get a focus on bulking physically in terms of strength as opposed to being necessarily at the ectomorph range. And therefore, you may just get stronger, which will push up his maximum minute power. Just to, uh, I suppose, to, to make sure people realise, maximum minute power isn't the same as looking at a file in a sportive, oh, I put out a minute and I was, I was putting out 430 watts. No, this is the maximum minute power in a progressive test. Starts at 100 watts, goes up 20 watts every minute until you go pop. 
No sprint at the end, no recover, see what you can do for a minute. It's the progressive minute after minute after minute increase in effort. So the last minute, by definition, you enter it already in a, in a bucket and you don't think you can complete the minute. You're absolutely ragged, which is different to when you're riding along aerobically and then you smash out a minute and say, oh, I can do more than that test that they were talking about. This is your maximum minute power in a progressive test, not the maximum minute that you can do in terms of a one-off effort. Okay, so a 17 is a bit young to be testing too much. I think so. Also, there's a lot more to be learned from tactics. Yep. How to ride the bike, where to place yourself, where to place yourself to save energy instead of worrying about when can I use these maximum watts that I've got. Yeah. Because you only want to be using them sparingly, pretty much. But testing, I mean, we're all, we're all figure-led. You know, the more information we've got, the more clued up we can be, but... I think some of the, the young lads, especially you know, the, the 14, 15, 16, 17-year-olds that, that we chat to, um, you know, those boys just want to go and those girls just want to go out and ride their bikes. That's yeah. all they want to yeah. do. And, and sometimes when you mention power meters and testing, they, you can just see their faces go, oh, that sounds boring. Yeah. And, and fundamentally it is, but you need to do one to know where you are at. After that, you've got the figures there and... Like you said, does does, mm. does a massive amount mm. change over you know an, an in, even an intense period of racing and training over six months? Mm. At that age, I suppose you gain you do gain a few watts, you know here and there, and then obviously eighteen, nineteen is the next kind of mm. progression on and growth. So and it shouldn't all be about numbers, should it? Well, no, it shouldn't. It's, it's got to be about fun. I think this is what we're we're seeing now with a lot of the the, the kids and the and the young lads and, and girls in the club the little transition between kind of under six under 15 under 16 racing then going up to kind of more senior ranks you get a, a massive percentage of dropout from from that because you know you're racing against fully formed individuals that have the power and the base of yeah. of strength muscular development those girls and boys now are, are falling by the wayside because they're just getting massively disheartened by it because mm. their figures aren't changing because they're so figure focused. Whereas what they should be doing is going learning from these old, the older individuals, yeah. Yeah. Um, just purely for you know for, for, for where they need to save that kind of that wattage that maybe they haven't developed yet. Yeah, going out and learning the ropes pretty much. But we riding just. You know, it, it's bike riding, it's it's triathlon. If you aren't enjoying it, why would you do it anyway? Yeah. So that little element of going out and just enjoying it and riding it and turning off the power meter, throwing the Garmin in the back pocket just to mm. still register mm. the ride, it's quite nice just to have a blasé day on it. Because you can, everybody does it on going out easy, dead easy today. All right, take your Garmin off then. Well, no, I still want to look at the the figures or take your power meter oh no I still I still want to know what I'm doing well that's fine but you know by feel what easy is yeah. so go and do it yeah. you know yeah. trust trust what you Whatever know the sport, what you, you know what easy yeah. feels like and e easy will still be I said to people like easy is likely to be I don't know 500 calories an hour it's probably going to be more than that to be honest Five to 600 calories an hour. You and me are sat down now, we're using about 60. So even easy is probably eight to 10 times your resting metabolism. And it feels guilty easy. It's like, yeah, but you can enjoy it. You can not feel tired afterwards. You can have a bit more headspace because you've got much more aerobic brain at that point in time. And you can actually finish it and go, God, that was really nice just to do something like... I call it pointless because you finish the ride or run or swim and you go, oh, that was pointless. 
But it wasn't because you'll look back through your figures and go, well, right. actually. Well, like, like Hugh said earlier, he said proper training. Yeah. And I think people perceive proper training, you leave yourself ragged afterwards and you are, you know, you, you, you're, you're spent. And that must be how you get better. And unfortunately, it's not. There's time and a place for it. I get it. But I think it's quite good at, uh, at, at any age, really, to sometimes think, Do you know what, if you train and you enjoy it, things will happen okay champions don't just say i'm going to be a champion they've got quite good uh, materials to start with but there's lots of people like you say that, that drop out too early or get disheartened about the fact that they're not maybe going to have the numbers of somebody else instead of saying you're doing it for you and do you know what it's it's a very narrow finish line in every sport because there's only a few people that get there early enough and, and everybody else comes in behind so winners are out there but you don't necessarily have to have a, a, a winner mentality that means that you don't enjoy things and if you enjoy it for long enough you pick up what you've said several times which I kind of remember but sometimes forget to say which is you pick up experience and if you pick up experience you can still be doing it when somebody else has already shot themselves in the foot and unfortunately sold all their gear because they had a tantrum about not quite being good enough and they got an injury and blah 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 and you think that person only had to be a little bit smarter they could have kept doing it enjoying it noticing how they, they found maybe a different distance people that are in triathlon suddenly say oh but I hate the run along comes aqua bike wow I'm really good at this Swim, swim, bike. Okay, no run at the end. Just, how, just how, no. Okay. How are they allowing bikes in swimming pools? No, they're not doing that. Don't worry. <laughs> anyway, I think. Blah, 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 blah. All right. I think twice, twice a season. Would yes. Be, would you agree or disagree, Mister? Yeah, no, I would. I would agree. And on on Pete's second part, where he said about the, um, you know, the sort of maximum heart rate, I wouldn't fixate. I've said sort of it might be seventy-five to eighty-three percent that you get with these overgeared efforts. So what I'm saying is, it's probably if you're doing it at a firm power, it's probably going to be. Upper zone one and just about go into zone two. Therefore, you're going to have an increase of work that means you're not working too hard, but you can see the cardiovascular system starting to go into a little bit of a deficit. But if you're indoors, if you're outside, if you've got a fan in front of you indoors or there's a slight breeze outside, if there's no fan in a, in a studio and you're doing the test and... So you're doing the overgeared efforts and there's no moving air, you're going to get really hot. So you've got to also go on perceived exertion because your heart rate might go to 85%. Be like, blimey, I, I just feel hot. I don't feel like it's hard. At which point, what you notice is, is that you're actually um, you're um, putting in an effort, but there's also additional beats per minute, which are temperature. And if you, if you really look at it, the best way to do your training is to always have moving air. And if you're outdoors, of course, you create that moving air. If you're indoors, get some really decent fans. And if you don't expect, sorry, if you don't have a fan, then expect to see elevated heart rates, which sort of people argue, yeah, but I'm not really in zone two. It's like, but the issue is you're putting your body in a cardiovascular challenge that's now gone into zone two. So although your wattage might be perfectly zone one, it's saying you're just not training properly. The point isn't to see who can get the hottest. The point yes. is to have proper moving air, which if you're outdoors doing some kind of uh, uh, session, you would uh, you, you would also have cooling. I notice it on like the indoor VASA machine. You're not in water and yet you're pulling against resistances and you get hot because the thing is, is that... You, if you don't put a fan on you, there's not the same simulation as you would in water, which is you lose uh, your heat to the immediate water. If you're on a, a watt bike, if you're on your turbo, if you're on rollers, 
you need some kind of moving end. It's not just good enough to say, well, I opened the back door or, well, I had the door open of the garage. It's like, no, get yourself a fan. They are not expensive. When you use them properly, they are absolute genius. And if we have anything like the temperatures that we had in the UK last summer, they were absolutely essential if you're going to do an indoor session because you couldn't get out, you had to stay indoors. They were essential because it was already hot. And if you then try and do a session with no moving air, just purgatory. And it's not who can, again, who's the hard case who can do it. And it's already, you know, 26 degrees and you're trying to do an indoor hours session and the temperature therefore is going higher. You're creating a core temperature increase in your body. That's not clever. So please get a fan. Um, it may not be possible for every scenario. You can't necessarily take your own fan to what bike session, but I don't think it's stupid to see if you can store one somewhere and pop it out, particularly if you're slightly... Um, larger individual maybe you've got a, a higher body fat level and you really notice that you get hot and therefore you find it difficult to complete sessions if somebody says i really sweat loads and have problems with the heat then i would have a fan there and make sure that you stick it in front of you I, i've got one at home that is literally the size of a road bike wheel it's massive yep. This yep. Into, i can only have it on the lowest settings i'm pretty sure that i'm just gonna get swept off the bike with it do you think that later on, I mean, we've seen a massive influx of things like indoor training, Swift, Trainer Road, you know, Tax Systems, uh, Ruvi do it as well. Do you think that now, maybe later on, a few years down the line, we're going to start developing certain ailments in athletes that can only be akin to training indoors with extra heat involved? You know, extra heat with, with training is... is has been linked to enlarged hearts and things like that. I've mm. seen, I've, I've started to read a little bit more into it, just the kind of maybe the negative effects on it, just with people like with heat buildup and yeah. things in, in, in athletes, especially now, or cyclists, we, we might see this kind of thing explode mm. in a few mm. years later. Yeah, because you're, still, you're still doing like you would outside. So outside, if it was still air, and if you've ever climbed somewhere very, very hot, and you've climbed uphill and there's no air movement, it's absolute purgatory. Whereas if you're on the flat and there's air movement, you don't, you don't really notice the heat quite so much. And amongst the amount that people spend on just a Garmin device or their um, direct drive system or whatever, actually a fan, particularly in winter, because nobody thinks about fans in winter, therefore you'll get them cheap. To buy a fan is a simple thing, and it's doing it properly. If you see proper labs when they are testing people, They've got fans by the, by the dozen, literally, blowing onto the athletes. Because what they don't want to do is create artificial thermal drift, because that's not real. There's, you know, maybe that might happen. Well, no, even the hour record, the, the, the male or female is going around at something akin to, you know, 29, 30, 30 plus miles an hour. So they are creating movement. Okay, they might bump the temperature up to 28 degrees to make it optimal for uh for aerodynamics, but they're still moving through 28 degree air and their body's therefore cooling, okay? 
you don't want indoor exercise to be about just dripping sweat. It's got to be convected off your body. A simple fan at the front and or back. When people have done it and I've pushed them to do it and they eventually do it and they're like, do you know what, that's so much better. I'm gonna do more of this and, it's, and it feels nice and I don't get off when I'm really hot. And you think, yeah, in some people's cases, that, that could be quite dangerous. And you have got the issue with you know, sitting on these machines in a certain position. There's no variance of, of body posture. There's no turning. There's not even you know, like indicating your arms and putting your arms out and having to hold your body on one arm. So as well as your fixed trainers, as well as your, uh, you know, your old-fashioned turbo trainer with a fan, etc., I would really advise people to get a set of old-school rollers and actually learn how to do them. Everyone can do it. It's not difficult. If you can ride on the open road and you don't fall off all the time, then you can certainly ride rollers, but it'll take a bit of a, almost like a bit of a rethink on how you do it. You then learn to balance, you then learn to keep the, the heart rate down because you're, you're doing the suplesse, the really light action of riding. But it also, you cannot lose concentration so you don't have to have a screen in front of you to keep you occupied or you don't have to, have to film or anything like that. Just staying upright is what occupies you and you can develop and eventually you can take your hands off and you can do all manner of things. But the key thing is, is that it's a new way of you being able to translate your riding to going on the road, to being able to ride in a straight line, pedal properly, and there are loads of people, again, that sit on a turbo, uh, a direct drive, etc., and they pedal really not smoothly, because you can do that on there, because there's, there's something holding the bike in place. If you were on rollers, that person would be veering left and right, so you learn how to, to press the, the pedals uh, properly. They're very cheap by comparison to most other things in cycling. There's often people that have got them that are mates that say, oh, I just don't use mine anymore, yeah. you can have it. Or actually, do you know what? I've spent so much on, a, on an electronic thing, but why not spend a couple of hundred on a nice aluminium pair of rollers and they're going to last probably longer because you don't need upgrades and you don't need electricity. Well, and they work. Yeah, I've seen them, you know, obviously I work in a shop, we run a shop, we would love for you to come in and, and, and buy a set of rollers, but to, to, to spend a hundred quid on a set of rollers after you've just bought a, you know, a direct drive trainer for like five, six, seven, eight thousand pound is a lot of, a lot of money to swallow Yeah. for that. But you can pick them up secondhand. I've seen them for 20, 30, 40 quid. Yeah. Even if they are a bit tatty, doesn't matter. Yeah. Because, you know, you can just get on there and teach yourself, like you said, the surplus of, uh, yeah. of, of peddling. And that's the difference... We see a lot, and, and you, Joe and I were chatting about it, about bike fitting as well. We have people that pedal on a, on a static trainer that you can just look at them and go, well, they're training because of the turbo. The turbo's there, they're being watched. So instantly you become the world's best, most, um, you know, kind of organised cyclist by knees are tucked in. And After a while you chat to them, and what I have a tendency to do is chat to people about cycling about bikes about triathlon about random stuff about family and all of a sudden them. they just they get distracted and the knees start to go a little yeah. bit and you can see the foot moving in the in the pedal so with rollers it just teaches those little muscles which you have to keep up to date you mm. have to keep the mm. firmware up to date in yeah. them if you want to go uh, by, by today's speak um you have to keep them working. You have to, otherwise you lose it. You lose the finesse yeah. of, of everything. And it's the same with mountain biking, cyclocross, anything that's off-road. A lot of some of some of the actions and saves and, and and reactions that you have aren't you can't 
teach people no, to do no. that. It's automatically kind of ingrained yeah. in you because you yeah. do it a hundred times a ride. Yeah, and every time you do it on rollers, you learn how to balance again. You can sit on a static bike, you've got your heart rate up, you've used your muscles, but you've not learned to ride a bike. And I think there comes a point where... I think every cyclist should be able to ride rollers and, and ride no-handed. I think that's the definition of what somebody should be able to do. If you want to uh, send us your videos of you starting <laughs> on rollers, it is, it's the funniest thing I've done for a long time. But once you've got it, you fear for, you fear for your life on them to start mm. off with. Just make sure that if you are really unfortunate that you, you think you may have a little... Put some normal flat pedals on. Well, yeah, like I said, trainers, trainers, just trainers, trainers yeah, and trainers. get started because you can put a dab down, you put a foot down whenever. Yeah. But once you get clipped in and you get going, the concentration that you have to have to mm. kind of keep you, every little movement that you make on the bike that you do normally is exaggerated. Oh, you can't turn around. If somebody says something, you can't turn around like you would on a on a fixed trainer. And then you teach yourself to take a bottle out of the the cage and have a drink, and that is petrifying to start off with on a set of rollers. Text. So text. But, text people yeah and, and it, yeah. it is difficult to do to start off with but then you realize how much you move and how mm, much you waste mm. on a bike once you start grabbing yeah. and a that's bottle. a skill isn't it yes. i mean that's a skill yeah. whereas you could always try and push a few extra watts or see if you can get a higher heart rate or go on a certain part of a zwift or trainer road or whatever and just sort of push it whereas the skill of being able to ride rollers you know look at the people that are in the velodromes and how they can they can ride rollers and just chat to somebody and they don't got they haven't got their hands on the handlebars that's proper cyclists and there are lots of people that do the the indoor training and you can yes you can learn outside and it might always uh, not be possible to get outside and ride but rollers let you learn how to ride outside but inside yeah and they're simple you just get the bike you don't need to take any back wheels out you put your bike on get on get going and because you're not going to be overly uh ex extending yourself you don't necessarily need a fan unless it's a very hot day or you are very very profuse sweater but you, you get on and you notice you don't have high heart rates it's not about watts it's just about staying upright and learning the the art of riding a bike and that definitely you said the word saves it definitely means that then when you get a, a blustery bit of wind when you just happen to be like one-handed or something happens what you notice is your automatic reflexes are so much better because your body's learned how to be you know let's face it rollers are like being on ice there's there's no two ways about it you are like on ice and therefore you have to be very careful you don't just push the pedal you have to properly press it therefore there's much more of an action that is is smooth pedaling you don't just push the biggest gear possible so top tip for 2019 get some rollers now very good next question this will be and a fan <laughs> and a fan yeah yeah and a fan uh so that was pete so thanks very much for that pete and although we were talking about, obviously, uh, overgeared stuff, we did finish with rollers. So this was, a, this was from an observation on Facebook that then turned into a question, okay? It was, uh, it was what I called Ironman lessons. There was three athletes who went to Kona. They'd done bio-racer aero sessions at no pins. And then I took their data and I standardized it at the industry standard of 30 miles an hour. When you buy a product, they often say, this saves four watts at 30 miles an hour. And... None of them did a 30 mile an hour split, I might note, but I then put up the data of how much improvement these individuals showed if we then took the changes that they had, but, but changed the speed to an effective 30 miles an hour or as was on the picture, 48 kilometers an hour. 
And somebody put, um, hang on, how is Dave managing the same speed with 170 watts less than Graham? And there were differences in um, the the athlete's data and in the, uh, in the, if you like, inputs versus outputs. Now, I know the athlete in question, Dave, who's, who's done uh, quite a few Ironmans with me. And I know that he's done, he's gone sub six hours on courses and done something in the region of about 140 watts. So 140 watts and getting sub six hours on Ironman, not the hilliest of Ironman courses, but on a flat course, shows that he's very efficient for his size. Okay, and I and I responded back to this guy, and uh, responded back to this guy and said, um, Dave is not tall. Uh, he's gone into the five-hour bike splits for Ironman off a wattage people are stunned by. It's the relative change that is the key uh, with such individual um, error sessions. The fact that person A can take more drag than person B and person C, it's actually academic. It's the, it's the individual one. Um, it's the goal for every rider to seek a reduction in drag and rolling resistance as well um, through position, clothing, bike equipment, etc. If you ask all three of these people that were in the uh, pictures, um, did it help? They would all say it did. It helped them to firstly see that the tiniest of changes, and each of them had a, a drop of their head, the tiniest of changes can make quite a bit of difference. And until people start staring at pictures of them in the aero position, and also much like what you said about distraction, it's amazing how you say to somebody, stay in aero position. And you notice straight away, they start to actually go out of position and their head goes up a bit and they start to start to slouch out of position. And immediately therefore the silhouette increases and they slow down. Whereas the best athletes are in a very, good position and they stay in that position as much as they can the devil's in the detail and although some people clearly they're just made to be aero and i think with with dave he's quite he's quite rounded on the upper body he's not super tall <clears throat> therefore he's not so high off the ground and he holds a good position and each individual's trying to find their best position. But there's huge differences. I mean, there's huge differences. There are other people that, blind me, they have to do, you know, 220 watts in an Ironman. And yes, they might go a bit quicker. They might go to say, you know, five and a half, maybe 515. But they've had to go from his 140 to their 220 in order to go that much quicker. Because they're a bigger athlete. They've got different proportions of their body. And there are some people, you stick them on a bike. And I know one particular individual that went to a wind tunnel was tested. And he was just the perfect shape. I mean, he was just made to sit on a bike. And once he got into position, it's like, wow. He hadn't even been optimised by anybody. And he was immediately very low drag. Other people are either unable to get into an aerodynamic position because of their perhaps their flexibility or how used to being in certainly the aerobar position that they are and their their drag is it's actually it's, it's really unfortunate that it's just making them have to work harder than somebody else that can get into a great position do less watts and go faster so it's very individual and this this chap was a bit sort of stunned and i just said well the thing is is that it's 
it's very individual. You can't really look at every individual and almost think you and me, if we start on a bike, we're still different proportions in terms of legs, etc. So we're straight away going to have differences of the way that the air goes around us. And it's trying to get, they're not dissimilar, the pictures, and I'll put the picture up when we put the uh, podcast out, actually. It's not dissimilar, the positions they end up in. The fastest people tend to be in roughly the same position, but there are differences in how much frontal area certain people present. They might have really wide shoulders. Some people might have narrow and ideally rounded shoulders. Other people can get into a nice tuck, and others have got real issues with maybe their neck or their back. So... It's it's stunning when you see the differences and some people can't make much difference and other people with the slightest of changes, their body suddenly assumes a position. You go, bingo, that's it. And um, therein is, is the, uh, you know, it's almost like it's, it's a partly genetic thing. It's partly about people that are uh, experienced. If you've been on aerobars for long enough, you can eventually get your body and mould your body into a position that other people haven't got, a, haven't got a chance if they've only been on, you know, tri bikes and time trial bikes for two or three years. They can't get anywhere near somebody that spent maybe 10, 15 years finding that position. So horses for courses, I guess. Um, do you want to read the next one from uh, from Dave Barry, who was getting back to us? Uh, this is from <clears throat> Dave Barry, entitled "Help." I just, I just said that using the contact form. <laughs> you want me to read everything? Mm, mm. Anyway, it says, uh, "Hi, Dave. Uh, Dear Joe and the legend that is Minecraft." And he put that. I didn't. I didn't put that. I don't think he's a relation to the family. But thanks anyway. Uh, help. Based on the advice and book, uh, great book by the way. I've been adopting the 80-20, more like the 90-10 for me at the moment, training approach. So far, it's been going great. No injuries, consistent training, and ability slash will slash motivation to train consistently is also there because I'm not destroying myself with the high-intensity efforts like I was before. I'm into my fourth month now of doing this uh, training approach, and I'm getting slower for the same effort with that. Oh, sorry. What the F am I doing wrong? Um, <laughs> I do between eight to nine hours of training a week, approximately uh, bike three, run two, swim two, strength core one, as in hours, I suppose. So swim is my weakest discipline. So I give it a little extra time. I do three weeks of this duration and then do a, a fourth week easy with a 40% reduction in duration. During each of my recovery weeks, I do a 2x2k running time trial at my local track, uh, the same track every time for consistency. I do this at two different zone one heart rates. Same heart rate every month too. Just to get a benchmark, which I can use to track and see how my training is going. Unfortunately, I've been consistently getting slower during these time trials, not quicker, 10 to 15 seconds per 2k per month. At first, I thought it may have been a bad day or so, but it is the fourth month in a row, so I must be doing something wrong. During these recovery weeks, I do not feel bad or tired. I feel good. That's why I leave these tests for the week. Any hints or tips for me? Is this training approach not right for me? Is the reason my training is pretty much the same? Is the reason that my training is pretty much the same each week? Question mark. Do I need to add more intensity each week? Each week, or am I pretty much maxed out with the duration work slash life? Doesn't leave much more than eight or nine hours per week. Thanks again for your help. So I really appreciate it, Dave. Sorry, Dave, I read that appallingly, but there you go. <laughs> I think one of the things, which is the timing of this, and I guess this must have come December or January, is that he's trying to 
do a benchmark. <clears throat> and I've always said to people that from October to December, maybe even to early January, we're just trying to stop the rot. Okay, unless somebody's incredibly unfit or they've been doing lots of things wrong. Most people that have had a solid season, they've been building their base, they've got things done in the summer. When we get to October, we start to notice they go off, off uh, kind of almost off the boil. And if his last four months, he's typically gone from, you know, October, November, December, it may well be that the reason why you're going slower, Dave, is just because it's winter. And so we would expect that to happen. And now I'm saying to people, and I'm already noticing, we are more than a month on from the shortest day. There's been a few bits of brightness. There's a, you know, we're not out of winter yet. We've probably still got the sting in the tail. But there's people saying, oh, I'm starting to just notice I'm going a bit quicker, actually. I had a conversation with chat today. It's like, yeah, I was doing... I was doing my uh, my aerobic stuff and it was this speed and it felt really easy, but oh, I really feel like I'm moving well. Now, October to December-ish, you're going against the flow. So you just notice goes off the boil. And that's just part of winter, really. And I don't think it's, you know, I think it's right how you're trying to do it. And I... I just think, because he said it's now my fourth month, I'm just thinking the timing that this has come in, it's come in, you know, end of the season, going into the early off-season, and he's just trying to look for development where probably not going to happen unless you were starting from literally the worst possible scenario anyway. It's now that we've got to see that don't change the training approach, just wait, have the patience to see that what's going to happen now is it's starting to go in reverse and you start to go, oh, 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 it's leveled off now. It's it's actually five seconds better. Oh, 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 it's gone another 10 seconds better. And that's you coming back out of the other end of winter. And we really thank you for downloading, for listening, for getting this far through the podcast. Make sure you train smart. And have fun. 